Before we start the episode, I want to explain to you that this episode will be without music, and that is because of licensing issues. Legal? Legal licensing issues. Songs cost money, typically, and to be able to play these songs during interviews or introductions of bands, it would cost a lot of money legally. And we like to see our artists get paid on top of it, even if it's pennies. They're still getting paid. Parts of pennies. Parts of pennies, for sure. So, if you want to hear this episode in full with all the songs involved, legally, go to your Spotify app, and you can find This Week in Seattle Rock on the Spotify app and hear this episode in its entirety. Or, if you just want to hear our pretty voices, you can go ahead and listen to that, too. Hi. Hi. (laughs) With all that being said, we appreciate you tuning in and listening, and hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to This Week in Seattle Rock's Five Points. Yes, yes, yes. Hello and welcome once again to another episode of This Week in Seattle Rock's Five Points. This happens to be episode 123 of This Week in Seattle Rock. And this week we have another influential artist locally in the rock scene bringing in five songs to us. Songs that have helped form who they are and their viewpoint of how they approach music. This week we have a dear friend of the podcast. His name just happens to be Kevin Hoffman lead singer and songwriter for Dead Rebel Saints, and also lead singer for the Soundgarden and Chris Cornell tribute band, Outshined. So if you ever have a chance, go check out either of those bands. You are in for a treat. I know Dead Rebel Saints is working on recording some new material, I believe, so that's a great thing. So please sit back, enjoy a great conversation with five great songs brought in by Kevin Hoffman. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Absolutely. Appreciate it, man. (laughs) Yeah. I know uh, we've been juggling how to do interviews, how often to do interviews. You are definitely on the short list of people we wanted to get in. I'm happy that you're able to come in. Yeah. It's funny. Marcy asked me to do this like three months ago. She was like, are you doing anything on? I don't think so. And she's like, cool, come do the podcast. I was like, okay. And I didn't think we had agreed to that I had said yes. Yes. Um, so, and I forgot right away after you asked me. And so it wasn't on my calendar or anything. And I had made plans for this weekend and stuff. And then Ooh. you sent me the thing saying, looking forward to it. I'm get some of your songs. Oh. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Send me songs oh, no. for what? Oh, no. Did you I, have to go back through your And then I had to go like, back to my text messages for like the last three months. Oh, and I God. found where you and I had talked about it. And I was like, shit, apparently I agreed to do this. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, we didn't take you away from anything, did no, we? Or no, cut no, you no. short? No. Or you're, no, it should you, have surprised all of us now. <laughs> yeah, he, he had, did have something more fun planned. I, no, not really. Oh, is he? I, no. But it is a pleasure to have you in. We discussed a little bit how much fun you had paring down to those five oh, songs. Geez, yeah. We hear it from everybody we bring in. What an exercise it is. Yeah. You know, uh, which baby are you going to throw back into the dumpster or whatever you want to say? Well, <laughs> yeah, like I, was, like I was saying, the hardest thing for me was figuring out the criteria by which to make this list. Is it going to be 
these are the songs that inspired me for different reasons, or is it going to be, these are the songs that inspired my musicianship. These are the songs that inspired my songwriting. These are the songs that just touched me when I was 14. These are the songs that. That sounds inappropriate. Yeah. You know, trying to figure out how to pick this list or even how to make it coherent in any sort of way. So, yeah, we kind of leave that ambiguous too. We let the artists kind of discover what they want to present too. Mm -hmm. We could say, yeah, these are songs that you like the most. Ryan Castle bring in that Tiffany song. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was his first cassette he bought with his own money. Cool. He also talked about syncing up his uh, little boombox with his buddy's boombox and trying to hit play at the same time so they can play hysteria in stereo together oh as they rode around on their bikes. <laughs> you know, cool little stories like that. Yeah. You know, some people have stories, some have the songs that touch them, important songs that lyrically or mean something to them. But I love your list. I want to listen to every song all the way through. I don't know if you do. I do. Absolutely. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I love every song that you brought in. They're great. With that being said, why don't we just start out with song number one. Into the Mystic is a song written by Northern Irish singer-songwriter Van Morrison and featured on his 1970 album Moondance. It was also included in Morrison's 1974 live album It's Too Late to Stop Now. And one little fun fact I found. According to a BBC survey, because of the song's cooling, soothing vibe, this is one of the most popular songs for surgeons to listen to while performing operations. So it makes me think they're doing like really fast surgeries or listening to the same song over and over and over and over. So I've blathered on long enough and nobody wants to hear anything else from me. They're here for you, Kevin. What, uh, what does this song mean for you? For me, as soon as I heard it, this song spoke to me even when I was a kid in a different way. It hit me. One of the songs that created a feeling in me. It has a vibe. It has an emotion to it. You know, you listen to other stuff, you know, depending on the day, you feel different things. You know, this song is kind of rocking or this song, but this song, it takes you to a place. It has an emotion to it. It's the same every time. It's very calming. It takes me back to a safe place from my childhood or something. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just so soothing. It's the kind of thing that amazed me. It's not on his greatest hits. I have Van Morrison's greatest hits and it's not on there. What? Yeah, it blows my mind. <laughs> and you bought it for that song, mm -hmm. and it's not on there. Wow. So, um, but yeah, this is this is one of those songs. I have a playlist on my phone or whatever, and it's all songs that create a vibe. You know, this is a sure. song you listen to when you're driving in your car with the windows down or whatever. But then there's certain yeah. songs that like Phil Collins in the air tonight. That song has vibe to it all day. Right. You know, nothing sounds like nothing creates that exact same mood. Right. And this is one of those songs that just nothing creates this exact same feeling as this song. I agree. I think you're right. Dead on. Spot on. It's just one of those songs. I want to go do Very surgery cool. now. <laughs> right? <laughs> I want to go back to, what is it, uh, eighth grade biology and cut up some frogs. Or buy a tambourine. Or buy a tambourine. It's probably yeah. safer <laughs> if I just buy a tambourine instead of doing surgery. <laughs> so, yeah, it brings you back to the reminiscent discovery of the song, probably. I mean about how old you think you were when you think you heard it oh man probably i don't know like somewhere between five and eight and it was just even then it spoke to it me. sounded different it, it i made you feel something i don't know about you but most people i know five years old are pretty oblivious to pop culture and things like that you're watching you know <laughs> yeah, your cartoon cartoons, cartoons yeah, exactly things like that but i remember even at an early age when i heard this song it, it resonated with me in a way that most everything else on the radio just went over my head wow and then when i was 12 14 somewhere in there this teeny bopper movie with the two Corys, dream a little dream came out 
Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Yeah. And I remember watching that movie as a teenager and the soundtrack to that movie was cool. Really? And this was one of the songs on that. Wow. And I just remember it had been a couple of years since I'd heard the song and hadn't, you know, it had sort of drifted away from my consciousness sure. and I'm watching this movie. And it at put that it, age, everything's coming at you. You're discovering new things. Mm-hmm. And then and all it, of a sudden this pops up. It, it hit me again. And I love um, the rediscovery. Yeah. My probably, old friend. Probably from that moment on, this song has never left my wow. my peripheral view. Wow. I went and bought the soundtrack so I would have a copy yeah. of this song. I have the soundtrack to Dream a Little Dream. It's got goofy stuff in there, but it's got <laughs> this song. It's got Rock On from Michael Damien. Oh, my god! It doesn't have Corey Feldman singing, does it? Because I know he put an album out. It doesn't oh, have. No, okay, no, well, then we're all a, a little then, safer. <laughs> no, it doesn't have him singing. He waited till he had um, money, or actually probably waited till he had no more but, money. no more money. <laughs> if you get the soundtrack to Dream a Little Dream 2, you do get Corey Feldman Oh, singing. my God. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Note to self. Don't buy number two. <laughs> because it is number two. <laughs> That's probably a bit of trivial knowledge you really don't need. <laughs> did you have musical parents or no, my parents were teenagers when they had me they were like 16 and 18 mm-hmm. and so they were you know when you're 16 years old you're super into your rock music and sure. stuff that you just so growing up my parents were always blasting aerosmith and okay zeppelin and hendrix and stuff um and then their tastes got weirder and weirder my mom drifted into like madonna and prince and cindy lopper and my dad drifted into like uh super tramp and stuff i just remember always super tramp was on and i was just like this is i mean super tramp is kind of cool if you like that art rock music if you delve deeper there are deeper some good songs there super but i just tramp. remember thinking nobody no other nine-year-olds i know have to sit through <laughs> album after album of Super Tramp every day. With yeah, they, my dad had the biggest stereo in the neighborhood. My yeah, dad yeah. had, I, I shit you not, he had speakers the size of refrigerators. God, two of them. They were they were. <laughs> I'm still not as tall as these speakers were. Wow. And in in each corner of the front room. And wow, our our school was oh, four blocks away. And in class, I could tell when my dad was home early because you could hear in my classroom in fourth grade, you could hear Super Tramp. The logical, the logical song. The old commercial where the guy turns on the music blasting and he just grabs his drink as soon as it's about to fall. The logical song from four blocks away. All all the kids in my class would be like, ah, your dad's home. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, my parents were youngish also. My mom was 20. My dad was 18. Actually, seven, yeah, 18. But yeah, it was kind of like mid-late 60s Beatles era. They yeah. were still you know, around and all that kind of stuff. And so they're kind of like into that pop rock kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Not bubblegum, but, but that was heavy influence on me. And yeah. I listening, what I like to listen to. But yeah, but then like you said, you, those teen years, like coming into 18 years, you just, you're grabbing, you're soaking up things, especially if you if you like music, you're getting what you can, trying to understand what you like and yeah. what's new and cool to you. What's funny is my dad, super tramp fan, uh, he <laughs> went through a couple different pretty heavy religious phases mm. in my childhood and right in my kind of like 12 years old, went through another religious phase and stuck me and my brother in private Christian school. And we weren't allowed to listen to secular music. Mm. And that's right around the age when you start really wanting to get into music. And we weren't allowed to watch MTV. We weren't Mm. allowed to listen to the radio. 
my dad had the biggest CD collection of anybody. I knew CDs were still kind of, he was one of the first ones to have a CD player. He had hundreds of CDs when everybody else had five. By the time I was like 12 years old, he had thousands of CDs. But you couldn't listen to them. And he had thousands of albums. Sure, vinyl. Vinyl. Yeah. And they were all put in this back room with a lock on it. You weren't allowed to touch any of it. The only thing I was allowed to listen to was 50s doo-wop and Beach Boys and Weird Al Yankovic. Because none of that's about masturbation and women. Yeah. No. <laughs> no it Not was, at all. You know, There's so no code. I had I had a Walkman, and I was dubbing all these tapes off from my dad's approved CD list. Oh, wow. And so I've got, you know, yakety yak, don't talk back. <laughs> and I've got my boyfriend's back, and you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. And I've got Do-lang, help Do-lang, me Rhonda, help, help me Rhonda, wow. and all this stuff. And eat it from weird i mean it was only it was only 25 to 30 years old by then yeah that's all and then one day i'm at a skating rink and um paradise city from guns and roses oh my god over the intercom and i'd never heard anything like that before and i was done i was like this is what i'm doing for the rest of my life i'm gonna be whatever these guys are doing this is what i'm gonna do how about that and that was the moment i knew i wasn't a kid anymore i was a musician and I needed a guitar, and I needed to grow my hair long, and I needed a bandana because I was going to be in a rock band. And, uh, Required. Yeah. And uh, and then, like I said, right around the same time, I saw that Dream a Little Dream, and this song popped back in, and I was like, Take, it takes this. you back. I need this. And you have a guitar and long hair and a bandana what still. Do you know? <laughs> so so it, it was, you know, a prediction of the future. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is a great backstory to that. So... I don't want to call this play a game, but it's a little more information. Sometimes asked to guess the Spotify plays. This is the most played song on this album. Go ahead and guess. Guess, guys. How many spins it's had on Spotify? Yeah, on Spotify Spotify, as of yesterday. 696,000. Okay. I'm going to guess 2 million. Yeah, I was going to guess like 1.5 million. All right. You guys suck. (laughs) (laughs) On Spotify, this has 215 million. Wow. 234, 565. Now, that being said, it is almost exactly one third of Brown Eyed Girl. Wow, wow. <laughs> one third. Was that Seriously, on the approved playlist song, Brown Eyed Girl? Was that? No? No. Okay. Original title of that song was Brown Skinned Girl, and Van Morrison had to change it. I'm kind of glad he did. Well, why, racist? <laughs> <laughs> No, well, obviously, times that yeah. kind of helps. Yeah, you know, that helps with sales. You know, the, mm-hmm. the me and old record company made them change it. Man, thanks for bringing that, Kevin. And that is only the beginning. Well, we head on to song number two. Never Going Back Again is a song written by Lindsey Buckingham that was first released by the British-American rock band Fleetwood Mac on their 11th studio album, Rumors, in 1977. Matchbox 20 covered Never Going Back Again on the 1998 multi-artist tribute album, Legacy, colon, a tribute to Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. And it was also included on the 2000 Deluxe reissue of their album, Mad Season. According to Matchbox 20 drummer Paul Doucette, the band intended to play around with the song before coming up with their dark interpretation of what Doucette calls a sad record when you think about it. Doucette felt that the version they came up with turned out great. Matchbox 20 lead singer Rob Thomas stated that we took drums from Tusk and put them in there and at the end turned into the chain. We used all minor chords and made it feel real brooding. I thought that was Rob Thomas. I'm like, you Obviously. said Lindsey Buckingham, so yes. I had to look at something because I saw the name recently. Okay. Neptune. Oh. On um, the 10th of next month. Oh, yeah. 
But all the volunteer I, spots are full. I like Lindsay Buckingham. Oh, that's what she was looking up. Yeah, okay. that's what she was looking up. He, um, <laughs> I'm going to do it He's too. now yeah. doing, he's on the volunteer list now. Very cool. Nice. Enough about you. Yeah. Sorry. I just, I saw <laughs> Lindsay Buckingham. I'm like. <laughs> I mean, I, I love the original version. I love Fleetwood Mac. Uh, I'm of that age group, I guess. What's this song do for you, Kev? So. Fleetwood Mac is one of my favorite bands, and I often say to people that my dream band to be in would be something like Fleetwood Mac or the Eagles or something where you had multiple songwriters and multiple singers and multiple instrumentalists carrying the band in different ways. Right. Uh, so it's not on one guy's shoulders to write everything and sing everything. You get so many more elements that way. You don't get one flavor. Like Aerosmith does Aerosmith, ACDC does ACDC. But if you mm-hmm. listen to an Eagles record, you've got so many different flavors, right. you know, with the different vocalists and the different styles. And I've always dug that. That's always turned me on multiple songwriters and multiple voices and stuff. And that's one of the huge things I loved about Fleetwood Mac, especially the Rumors record is obviously their quintessential classic. Right. And while I love that whole record, I did always feel that that song, Never Going Back, the music was too happy. For the message that it was conveying, the music was really kind of uplifting. The message was not. I always liked that juxtaposition. And then when I bought the that legacy okay. record, that sure. tribute to Fleetwood Mac, not having heard it, I bought it when it first came out because I loved that record so much. Sure. And I thought, oh, shoot, I like a lot of the artists on here. I want to hear I've what done. I've done things similar to that. And I came across that Matchbox 20 version these guys didn't just cover the song. They reinterpreted the song by changing the musical elements and they captured the mood of what the message of the song was. They captured that feeling that Fleetwood Mac did not. Obviously Fleetwood Mac made a masterpiece record and obviously they wrote an incredible song, but Matchbox 20 really captured the mood that right. that just impressed me. I love hearing not just a cover of a song, but a, a reinterpretation where it sounds like that artist's song. Even though you're covering a Bob Dylan song or even though you're covering a Jimi Hendrix song, you're right. doing it in such a way that it sounds like it could be on your record. Right. But it's still an amazing song. And that's that's something they did. They gave you a new song out of a great classic song. And it's still a great classic song. One of the things that disappointed me with that record, that legacy record, was they stole the chain off of the song that it belongs to. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think Sean Colvin did Chain. Stevie Nicks had written the chain. Right. And she said, you need an outro for the song. I'll give you my song, The Chain. And that's how they end the song. I don't know if it's because Matchbox 20 had more star power than Sean Colvin or whatever, but Sean Colvin covers the song that the chain belongs on. Then it just ends. That drives it home. And Matchbox 20 stole it and put it in the wrong song, which it was a cool thing, but you should have also let Sean Colvin play it. Anyways, yeah, just that's, that's great. Just an, yeah. a weird, a weird thing when I bought that record. This is kind of sacrilegious. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I completely hear you. I'm it, trying to look it up. Sorry. It's hard to find. It's not on. There's only like three songs on uh, Spotify. I had to go to YouTube. Now we got people on their phones just I'll hustling. Tell you what it, it ends with that phenomenal baseline. Yeah, it just chain keep us together. And okay, but okay. that ending that makes the song Matchbox Twenty stole it. Yeah, pretty and much. And for whatever reason, she didn't play it on her version. I, and I'm assuming that's the reason because they put it in their version of Never Going Back. I don't know. Crazy. That's a good but, assumption though i don't think i listened to all the way through that cover 
Yeah. So, but yeah, that's, <laughs> I, that, I think they just did a masterful job of reinterpreting that song and it creates the perfect feeling and emotion to convey the message that might, okay, in that I, minor I actually key. have the list now. Sean Colvin, Sister Hazel, huh? <laughs> <laughs> tonic. Yeah. Tonic. I, I think Tonic opens Elton the album John. or no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tonic, Jewel, that's a good record. Goo Dolls. An album I love that's along the same line is that it's not an album cover though it's a cover of Eagle Songs the Common Thread album mm, yeah with all absolutely. the country artists on it mm-hmm. oh that is so good mm-hmm. I totally dig that but yeah this uh, this one it's a fun listen not not only because of what you're mentioning that minor versus major key mm-hmm. but it's longer than the version the original version song which is kind of nice to yeah hear that go on but then kind of like I said they kind of cheated yeah but you know they're not the first they won't be the last so oh. Psh- this song is on Spotify, but I've never heard of this tribute album. That doesn't mean anything. Do we want to try and guess the uh, Spotify plays on that? <laughs> I'm going to guess a million. 322,000. I don't know. Mm, I was so far under. I want to say 5 million. I'm going to guess. You can't <laughs> guess. You're looking. I'm going to guess 525,000. Oh. 534. So now I'm way over. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's. I quit. <laughs> well, you know, somebody gets a good number or gets close to that number. It's going to be amazing. But, you know, it's a tribute album. The whole album isn't on Spotify. Only three songs are. Yeah. And I think that's by artist permissions, obviously. Makes sense. So, yeah, it's not like Fleetwood Mac. It's 17 billion, please. Not quite the same, but I love the song. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. And I, I, I'm a Lindsey Buckingham fan. His playing, his style of playing, that's his finger. Point. Oh, God, yeah. He's just. He'll be at the Neptune. On April. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whatever weird quirks they have within the band and the I used to love you, I don't love you anymore, but now we can be friends, but now we can't be friends anymore because you want to kick me out of the band. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I still appreciate All the things his solo that stuff. And, a band. <laughs> yeah, you know. No, I don't know. I've never been in a band. So why don't we go on to three? Yes. That was deep. That was heavy. If you get a chance later on, go to go to YouTube where you can read the lyrics along with it. Yeah, you'll get a full gist of the whole the song. It's pretty cool. It's great. It's so really well good written. at painting a picture. In my yes, oh my God. that's and, what she's known for for sure. And is it even really what picture we're painting? You know, a lot of times, yeah, it's interpretation. Com- what yeah. we hear. Yeah. The song School Night can be found on 2001's Reveling Reckoning, released by singer-songwriter Annie DeFranco, her 11th studio album on her Righteous Babe Records. Reveling Reckoning is a double album of winding, narrative, acoustic-based songs. School Night is about Annie's choice between a lover and her life as a touring musician, about having to make a decision to let go of something or someone and finding the balance between what one wants and what one actually needs. They are everything that is desirable, good, and fun, but they're just not supposed to be together. The other love she is referring to is herself, and to be true to herself, she can't be true to him, and therein lies her dilemma. A little background on Annie DeFranco. She was born in Buffalo in 1970 to parents who had met while attending Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So she has two very bright parents met at MIT. DeFranco started playing Beatles covers at local bars and busking with her guitar teacher at the age of nine. 
By 14, she was writing her own songs and was playing them at bars and coffee houses throughout her teens. Annie was an emancipated minor at 15 when her mother left Buffalo for Connecticut and she decided to not follow. After graduating from the Buffalo Academy for Visual and Performing Arts High School at 16, Annie began attending classes at Buffalo State College and at 18 moved to New York City living by herself. Annie started her own record company, Righteous Babe Records, in 1989 at 19. She released her debut self-titled debut album in the winter of 1990, shortly after relocating to New York City. Thereafter, she toured steadily for the next 15 years, pausing only to record albums. DeFranco has released more than 20 albums, all on her Righteous Babe record label, and her music has been classified as folk rock and alternative rock, although it has additional influences from punk, funk, hip-hop, and jazz. She supports many social and political movements by performing benefit concerts, appearing on benefit albums, and speaking at rallies. Through the Righteous Babe Foundation, she has backed grassroots cultural and political organizations supporting causes including abortion rights and LGBT visibility. She is a badass, a marvel. She's doing a lot of work. So her first album in 1990, and then 2001, she had her 11th album. It was so uh, every year her 11th studio album. She's put out live performance albums also. So this was just her 11th studio album. Busy, 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 so, busy. Yeah. An interesting tidbit about her is that she had been performing for years and had been shopping her material to labels and nobody wanted to touch her. Mm. So she started her own record label just to put out her music. She would tour basically in a van and her acoustic guitar and tour around and would make enough money to put out another record. And all the money she made went back into her label. Pretty soon, she started making plenty of money. And where an artist like Garth Brooks or Michael Jackson was making 10 cents for every CD they sold, she was making the full 10 bucks or 20 bucks uh-huh. for every album she sold. Right. And so she was making more money. She built her live show and built her performances into bigger and bigger things. And she was making more money on her tours and her record sales and her merch sales and everything than the top selling artists in the world. And all of a sudden, all the record companies came calling and were like, hey, hey, you want to be on Capitol? You want to be on Columbia? You want to be on, you know, all these record labels? And she was like, why? Why would I want to exactly. sign yeah. and have you guys take all the money when I am one of the most successful artists in the world at what I do and my record label and everything? And then she started signing other, you know, yes. obscure artists and putting them out. But I was blown away when I was reading the statistic that she was making more money Michael than Garth Jackson. Brooks and Michael Jackson. Yeah. So is her label all like feminine yeah, females it's, it's, and female empowered? It's largely that. I'm not familiar with the full roster, Mm -hmm. but I think there are some male artists and stuff, but I think it's very LGBTQ. Of course. Cool. Socially Um, aware, for sure. In in the roster. I'm going to have to re-listen to that song now that I know the... Yeah. Her, and the thing what is, she's trying to say. And yeah. the thing is, I have most, I don't think I have everything, but I have most of her catalog. Oh, yeah? And I've been a fan for 25 years or something. Mm. And in making this list, the moment I knew that I was going to be making this list, I knew an Honor to Franco song was going on this list somewhere. But um, which one? But which one? And I spent <laughs> days listening to all of these songs. And I'm like, this song is so great. And the lyrics to this song, she is a world-class guitar player. She is an amazing mm. guitar player. And she's one of the few people, her and Chris Cornell are two of the only artists that I know that can play rock solid independently of their singing. 
They can sing at a time. I can't do it. I've been singing and playing for 20 years at the same time, and I can't pat my head and rub my belly at the same time. I can't do one independently of the other. I have to sing in rhythm with what I'm playing, or my hands lose it. I Mm. lose my time signature. Mm. And she can play and sing all over, behind the beat, ahead of the beat, move all over the place, and she is computer perfect like in her timekeeping. And her phenomenal guitar playing. Her and Chris Cornell are like the two people that I know that do that so well. I'm sure there's you know plenty of others, but it's very rare skill to have. And Mm. she's definitely one of them that is just such a proficient player, but her lyric writing is definitely a storyteller. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. So amazing. And her ability to take analogies and similes and spin them in such a way where, you know, exactly that feeling that she's talking about, but you couldn't have articulated it as well. You know, exactly where she's coming from. Like I said, I went through 30 different songs and was like, this is the song. No, wait, no, wait, this is the song. No, wait. So, I mean, (laughs) You I, just, know, I myself can say I could see a story yeah, as I listened. Yeah, so 100%. not, and, and it's just how my brain interpreted it without knowing sure. more information. Mm-hmm. So if I listen to it again, I'm going to, yeah. my brain's going to interpret it differently and hear a different story. So one song can tell many stories and, yeah, and that obviously she has a gift yeah. there on that too. Oh yeah. And while I don't claim to be anywhere near as lyrically proficient as she is. She's one of the biggest influences on my songwriting. She is a master class in how to do that. I'd borrow little snippets here and there of this is how she would interpret this. And and I often use her approach in developing my own lyrics and stuff. I got into her in my late teens, I think. I was still developing my own songwriting style. I, I had to show you that. Yeah. I thought I had heard a while back that she lived locally here for a short period. Does that sound familiar to you? I hadn't heard okay. that. Um, I, I heard something about Tacoma, but I heard that a long time ago, and I don't know how accurate that is. Oh, I did <laughs> see her perform several years ago at Bumbershoot. Okay, yeah. Several years ago. I know she's been in town. Ago. When was the last <laughs> Bumbershoot? 15 years ago? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, God. It feels like 15 years. Well, that's probably the last time I went because this bumper shoot's starting to suck. That's the one in Seattle, right? Yeah, Yeah, Seattle Center. It's like a crawl. I guess they still do it. It's just, I don't know any of the kind of music that would be Not as proficient as it used to be uh, as far as who they draw. Like I said earlier, familiar with her name. Knew she was super talented. Heard only heard a couple songs. Yeah. I'm going to be listening to a lot more. He you know, it's female fronted. Yeah. Anything oh, he yeah. loves. I'm, kinda, <laughs> I'm stuck on it for the most part. But yeah, if, if you have a chance, get to the lyric video on like a, a YouTube. There's probably a couple of them at least. And to sit there and listen and read it, mm-hmm. I was bawling. Yeah. I bawled as I was reading this song and listening to it. It was, I'm starting to feeling the emotion about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to get misty. That's what we love about Chris. He cries. <laughs> At least he's got and pants love, on for this one. Yeah, I was going to say we love having guests because he'll wear pants. I'll wear pants for the guests. <laughs> oh, I don't want this night to end. <laughs> um, <laughs> so why don't we head on out and sit on song number four? The Rock On Tours is an American rock band based in Nashville, Tennessee, forming in 2005. The band consists of Jack White on vocals and guitars, Brendan Benson on vocals and guitars, Jack Lawrence on bass, and Patrick Keeler on drums. According to the band's website, the seed was sown in an attic in the middle of a hot summer when friends Jack White and Brendan Benson got together and wrote a song that truly inspired them, which led to the creation of a full band with the addition of Lawrence and Keeler. 
Author Rock Contour's second album, Consolers of the Lonely, the song Carolina Drama is an electrified blues slow burner. The song sounds like an old-time murder ballad. The southern gothic ballad tells the story of a kid named Billy, his brother and their mother, who witnesses their loser boyfriend attacking a priest with a hammer. Billy and his brother, what's going on there? And as a quick synopsis, the preacher is the father of the boys. The boyfriend and the milkman are not the same person. The mom is also sleeping with the milkman. (gasps) Remember when Billy locked the door? The milkman stops by, finds the door locked, hears the fighting and bails, leaving his hat and maybe a bottle of gin. It's not really clear where the gin comes from. The song ends with, well, now you heard another side to the story, but you want to know how it ends? If you must know the truth about the tale, go ask the milkman. I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to go to Kevin. <laughs> Since he wait, brought wait, this- wait, is he the milkman? <laughs> <laughs> My moonlighting gig. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you bring this to us? I'm so disappointed. It's such a great song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for me, Jack White is another genius songwriter. I kind of thought in making this list that I had to include something from him. And I went through all of his stuff too. I went through all the white stripes and I went through all of the rack on tours records and I went through all of his solo stuff. Hmm. Again, there's so many great songs. I had picked a couple other songs. And then when I got to this one, I was like, the musicianship is great. You know, he creates or they create a feeling you know, a specific stylized song and, and the lyrical content is a great story told. Well, very few people tell that story as well as he did with what he had to work with the amount of detail and description. I just, it's just, it's just so well done. (laughs) And I mean, that really as a songwriter and as a singer, that's one of the things that really speaks to me is, you know, you take five guys and ask them to tell you something. And he's one of those people that'll tell you it in a way nobody else would think of. The cleverness, you know, and the genius really speaks to me. Anybody could say, you know, I want to hold your hand or anybody could say, I'm walking to the store. I'm going to buy a Pepsi, you know, but, <laughs> but yeah, for you to yeah. tell me something I, I couldn't think of myself or, you know, that five other guys couldn't tell me that always kind of speaks to me. And that's what gets me about Ani DeFranco. And that's what gets me with a lot of the Jack White stuff is just, how do you come up with that? And yet I know I, I'm getting what, what you're laying down. Not many artists will create songs I would call intriguing, that draw you in, that make you want to hyper-focus and listen and understand Andy DeFranco. Yeah. I mean, you know, wow. This song specifically just truly draws you in. You hear the first couple of verses, and it's like, what's going on now? Yeah. What's going on now? I, I think all your songs would make me miss my exit, because I would, if I was driving and listening, because I would be I'm like... I'm not paying attention to anything else. <laughs> exactly. Just, it pulls you in. Yeah. Really does. I've never delved deep into Jack White, even though I do appreciate... I like how he goes back to the roots... Uh, he does appreciate those bluesy country. Yeah. I love that part of him. And I've seen him on a couple documentaries where it's about guitarists and all that good stuff. And at the beginning of one documentary, he makes a rudimentary two string, I think, yeah. with a with a two by four and a block of wood and some steel wire. He electrifies it and hooks it up. Ding, 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 ding. And he's, he's playing songs on it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what the? F- That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> He's a super nerd when it comes to all of recording and stuff. I had to save the song. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I got to listen to that one again, too. (laughs) 
So I stopped short in my little synopsis or my long synopsis because I found something I thought was super interesting. I stopped where I read that the song ends with, well, you now heard another side of the story, but you want to know how it ends. Well, you know, you hear the song, you think you've heard it end. Mm -hmm. If you must know the truth about the tale, go ask the milkman. What? What? What's that mean? Well, the verse really means if you want the truth, it's in a song called Ask the Milkman. The end of Carolina Drama is confusing unless you know that Carolina Drama is a companion song to Ask the Milkman by the Pickens County Bandits. Can't get it on Spotify. Gotta go to YouTube. The song is pretty raw, interesting, kind of sparse lyrically. The two songs only make sense together. Mm. This verse that Jack sings is the biggest hint that he actually is naming the song that will explain this song. I did not know that. Yeah. We uh, like these little tidbits. That's why he does all the digging. That's why it takes him <laughs> forever to edit. And no, no doubt. <laughs> uh, some key linking lines from the Pickens County Bandits song, Ask the Milkman. The milkman came late last night. Mama let him in and turned out the light. There's that relationship. Mama's boyfriend came back to town. All he does is smack her around. Sunday, I get to meet my pa. Last time I saw him at all. Uh, another line, Mama's boyfriend's blood is soaking in the mud. And the last song, which kind of goes along the line of the little brother bringing in the milkman's hat and the gin. The milkman delivers the milk today. The door is locked, but he gets to walk away. Meaning that if the door had been unlocked, he would have been in all that mess yeah. with the angry boyfriend. And mom's a whore. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't gather that. But you know. The more you know. People like sex. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. The Pickens County Bandits. Ask Milkman. Interesting. Yeah. The Pickens County Bandits song is less in depth, right. but you can not tell Mike. where he kind of got a gist to maybe write the yeah. story corresponding with that. I love that. And, then, and then kind of give them credit at the end. Ask the Milkman. Yeah. Last thing he sings in this song. That's sneaky. And this was what, 2005? God there wasn't any brilliant. internet. Someone had to actually do that to find it. God dang brilliant. Love it. Yeah, super cool. Do we want to guess the Spotify sins? I mean, it doesn't I'm not mean, guessing anymore. It doesn't mean anything. The Raconteurs, they were pretty popular for I'm four gonna, albums. I'm going to guess under a million. See, 90. This, this exercise is ridiculous. 192. Okay. It's 11,711,185. Got it wrong again. So, I mean, if we're playing prices right, somebody will always bet $1. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me. That's the $1 over here. This is an exercise in futility. It is just so silly to even play this game. I don't know if we're going to continue doing it. It makes me feel dumb. I'm going to look up the song <laughs> on Spotify while we're doing it. So I'm gonna it every time. I know I would never get anywhere near. I mean, how would you ever get near? We should have a prize. Well, that and- it's one of your baby socks. <laughs> That's it. Yay! Last song in the evening. Sadly, oh no. Maybe we'll have to have Kevin come in and bring five more songs from oh, his uh, I would have to early agree. teen years. I'm down. Bring us some uh, some Beach He'll, Boys be and some first. Durang Durang. <laughs> He's so fine. <laughs> We're going to restrict you to a two year period, anyway, <laughs> where your parents' stuff was all locked up. Let's let's hit song number five. Ring out. <laughs> yeah, I think we all just went to church. 
<laughs> John the Revelator, performed by Curtis Stigers and the Forest Rangers, plays over the ending scene of the 13th and final episode of the first season of the FX television series Sons of Anarchy titled The Revelator. The episode originally aired on November 26, 2008 in the United States and garnered 2.4 million viewers. Talk about instant listeners to your song. Pow. When was the song written? 30s. Not by Curtis. Curtis is an American jazz soul singer. He achieved a number of hits in the early 90s, most notably the international hit I Wonder Why in 1991, which went on to be number nine in the U.S. Steiger's combination of rock and soul was also popular on the soundtrack to the movie The Bodyguard, which contained his version of What's So Funny About Peace Understanding by Nick Lowe. He has worked with Elton John, Eric Clapton, Prince, Bonnie Raitt, Rod Stewart, the Almond Brothers Band, and Joe Cocker. That's two mentions for the Almond Brothers tonight. And Joe Cocker. And Joe Cocker, you're right. John Revelator is a traditional gospel blues call and response song. Music critic Thomas Ward describes it as one of the most powerful songs of all pre-war acoustic music, which has been hugely influential to blues performers. American gospel blues musician Blind Willie Johnson recorded John the Revelator in 1930. Subsequently, a variety of artists have recorded the renditions of the song, often with variations in the verse verses and music. The song's title refers to John of Patmos and his role as the author of the book of Revelation. A portion of the book focuses on the opening of the seven seals and the resulting apocalyptic events. In its various versions, the song quotes several passages from the Bible in the tradition of American spirituals. This version of the song don't match Blind Willie's version of lyrics. They actually match Sun House's version uh, lyrically. Blind Willie was the first to record it. Uh, really interesting recording. Thank you for bringing this song to us, uh, Kevin. Tell me about it. Yeah, I heard it on Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> Everybody else. And I mean, that voice, that voice is incredible. Again, the mood that they capture musically. This is another one that I listen to it on repeat. Just that voice and those guitars and that bluesy feel. You know, it's another one that just speaks to you. The lyrics are great. Most definitely. It's another one of those songs that just creates a vibe. Well, Marcy and Justin just come back from New Orleans, and this sounds like a voodoo-style song. Yeah. Obviously, a not it's not because it's gospel-related, but well, it has but that vibe That area to it. ties a but lot. The, right. the bluesy jazz yes. yeah, to it. Exactly. And the, the call and response. I mean, that's... Yeah. Know. I can feel that in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. I should go back real quick and see if I can feel it. It has, it has a little I mean, spook okay to it. it. I need yeah. another mufalada. <laughs> <laughs> this song definitely has this great, great vibe, this great feel. And yeah, is it repetitive? Yeah, but it's like you said, it's the call and response that kind of, yeah. you can accept it. with. It's fun. For me, the repetitiveness of it, it never gets boring to me. No. Like I could listen, I could listen to a 10-minute version of this song. Yeah. Sure. Again, you know, I listen to the song on repeat. I noticed as we're sitting here talking about all these different songs that a common theme with a lot of the songs that I brought in and a lot of the songs that I really dig is they all seem to create a, a vibe. They all have a mood to them. They all have a feeling to them. They all create something tangible. You can feel it when you listen to the song. It's not just another, it's not Iron Man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you don't take that home. It's not Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. That moodiness is something that will draw people, obviously, because it's not, I want to hold your hand. It's not the constant pop that you can hear from the 60s, 50s, 60s onward, even in today. It sounds different, 
does have a little bit of a mood to it, which emotes a feeling out of you, it pulls something out of you. You know, it makes you feel something. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. I think music was created to make you feel. Yeah. Oh, so, most definitely. So some people are just better at making you feel than others. Yeah. Some people can express yeah. themselves, and that's what it's for, for themselves, and that's where it comes from. Well, this is an old gospel song. It's, it's meant 30s, to be. Yeah. It's meant to make you feel something for sure. But then let's so tune smooth, it up to today's though. music. Yeah, he's got that smooth, bluesy voice to go. I mean, I tell just, you what. I didn't believe it was him the first time I heard it. I was like, "What? That is not is he? A, is he a background singer? Because I, I, I don't hear Curtis Tigers. Yeah, not I, I don't hear him. But it's like, wow. Um, and he is very accomplished. As a Sons of Anarchy fan, if you didn't know, he also sings the title track yeah. or of, of, of the, the, show. Of the show. show. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Isn't well, he singing that? in the last scene too? With when Jack's he gets on hit? the motorcycle. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think he's playing. It oh, could have been huh. that song, too. Wow. When he's saying pretty much, you know. Yeah, don't give it away. Not everybody's. Well, if they haven't seen it by now, there's <laughs> like, spoiler what? Spoiler alert. Five, uh, however many shows to watch other than the one. I just oh, hate yeah, ruining there's other shows. Oh, no, he just show. ruined one one show. But it's a good one. <laughs> An amazing show. Wow. This song appears on two album versions. It's an album of songs from the show. Yeah. But then there's one that's seasons one through four that appears on two. It's the fifth most played song on that album. Mm. Oh, do we know anyone? 12 million song. 12 million plays. Well, that's what I was going to guess. Oh, I feel bad. <laughs> I feel bad. I was going to guess way under. One dollar. <laughs> I was just going to say, no, I'm not guessing this time. <laughs> I'm done. Man, Kevin, thank you for coming in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know Justin has one burning question. I, I Shit. <laughs> Who would you want us to interview? Yep. yep. Uh, Your one burning question. It burned so bad, it burned a hole in it. We haven't done head. one of these in a long time. <laughs> Man, there's so many people. Uh, I think you should interview Sammy Chaffee. Chaffee. Oh. Ooh. When he, gets, when he comes into town? He's in town. Oh, is he in town now? World traveler. He's so nice. He He's is. Such a nice He's a guy. pleasant man. Blue, uh, World, blue Helix. World he Travely. He's well, a, now he's solo. Band locally was Blue Helix. He's okay. still doing the Blue Helix thing. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. I think he now performs as Sammy Shafi featuring Blue Helix. Oh, okay. Wow. He does he does a lot of the Blue Helix stuff, but he also does his some solo stuff. Yeah. In the show, he's just kind of made it bigger. Man, I'm trying to think of the last time I saw Blue Helix was a long time ago. Last time I saw them Louis was at the old Crocodile. They oh, wow. opened for Outshined yep, at the Chris Cornell Memorial that we did a couple years back. That's okay. when I saw them. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, Kevin. This is great. Hey, I'm happy to do this again. Man. I'll <laughs> yes, bring you please. some more cool songs. Might be a repeat offender. Yes. I have no problem with that <laughs> So Kevin presented these five songs to me so I can do a little pre-production, and I was blown away with his selections. I instantly knew this was going to be an episode with five terrific songs deep songs well-written songs songs by true songwriters and like always marcy and justin are never told about these songs before we start recording they hear them for the first time when we play them it's great to hear their enthusiasm and want to listen to them again and delve into them a little bit more on their own personal time. We hope you get a chance to do that too. Check out these artists. Uh, also, if you ever, ever have a chance to go out and see Dead Rebel Saints and Outshine, please go do so. And uh, I'm sure Kevin would appreciate you showing up to a show and coming up to him and saying, hey, I heard you on the podcast. 
Ah, I know he'll like that. Thanks for listening. Keep your ears open for another loud and local episode and another five point episode coming up, I'm sure, within the next couple of weeks. My name is Christopher Walken. Rock on.